Hi, everybody. Welcome to Evolve. Um, we focus on the evolution of leadership. And I'm Kim Ford, your host. And today we have a very special guest coming from London. Do you mind introducing yourself and your business, please? Yeah, thanks, Kim. So, uh, hi, I'm Richard Newman. I'm the CEO and founder of Body Talk, uh, which is a team of people I've been leading now for the last 22 years. And it grew very much from a little hobby uh, business, my passion project of teaching people communication. And it's it's grown to us teaching over 120,000 people all over the world. Uh, before the pandemic, we were flying to every country on the globe, teaching people there and uh, doing it virtually uh, since then for, for people from all walks of life, or all industries, but really focusing around uh, that, that key area of communication, helping people find their voice, tell their story, speak with confidence and get the reactions they deserve. Oh, this is exciting. I'm pretty excited to talk about this. So let's start with how does body language play a role in business in general? Yeah, great question. So uh, I think, you know, so many people have really felt the last couple of years that we have been missing a sense of human connection, that we've been separated from each other, separated from our families even, but separated from our work colleagues, not able to see people face to face. And so that makes it much harder for, the, for us then to be building rapport. And rapport is sometimes explained as non-verbally traveling together. So building up some sense of relationship with people that's not just built on the words and the texts and uh, documents that are sent or job titles. It's very much a sense of people coming together and creating a sense of connection. And uh, the, the key element that I like people to focus on in order to improve on this, whether you're virtual or if you're in person, is to think about congruency. Now, the way, way to relate that is so many people in business the last at least 10 years have talked about authenticity. I want to be an authentic manager, leader, human. I want to be authentic. I want authentic communication. What does that really mean? Well, if you think about it, what it really should mean is that what you say and what you do is moving in the same direction. And I talk about that more specifically as congruency. You want your body language, your tone of voice and your words all going in exactly the same direction. That, that's what creates really powerful communication. It creates charismatic communication as well. We see someone doing it and we think, I don't know why, but I'm so engaged with this person. Why is that? It's because every fiber of their being is heading in one direction and it makes it much more compelling. And you can see it with a great actor you can see it with, with a great politician if they're really compelling everything's going together and it's something that is sadly missing from most day-to-day -day business conversations so to reel this all the way back what do i mean by that my work with communication started in 1995 where i was living in a tibetan monastery i was in the foothills of the himalayas and i was teaching a group of monks how to speak english and the, the reason being they wanted to be able to connect with, you know, the greater society outside of their monastery. And the big challenge being when I got there, I discovered they didn't speak any English at all. And so I was there thinking, well, how do I teach you? If you don't understand me, I don't understand you. We don't have a common language. And I worked out pretty quickly on the first day that if I was really congruent with my body language, tone of voice and words, they could start to understand me. I could start to understand them. And I spent six months with them every day, working with them on building up their language skills. And by the end of that, they could have a good conversation in English. I could have a good conversation in Nepali. So I love this experience of uh, having everything go in the same direction. So to give people an idea on that, if I was trying to teach them the word excitement, 
excited. If I didn't look excited and I didn't sound excited, they had no idea what the word meant. I could have been saying pineapple. Like they'd have no idea. So I had to do everything <laughs> the same. But if you look at day-to-day -day meetings, you know, you get this all the time where somebody goes into a meeting where they're not really thinking about what they're saying, or maybe they're a bit nervous in that situation. There's some fear, there's some tension there. And they come in and say, um, yeah, hi, everyone. I'm, I'm really excited to be here today. I'm really looking forward to a positive <laughs> meeting. You know, everything's going well in the business. And people on the call are thinking, what? Am I going to get fired? It sounds like the CFO is really worried here. I don't know what's going on. And you've said <laughs> the right words, but the message is going in the wrong direction. So, so to be really clear on this, if your body language goes one way and your words go another way, seeing is believing. People believe what you're doing, not what you're saying. So you've got to make sure they come together. Uh, and so that's why this is so important in day-to-day -day business. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, when you think about it, when you have a team, you know, a team that you're working with, whether they're remote, they're in person, I think that could drastically affect that environment, right? And like, you know, think through the pandemic and some of the changes. We have a lot of clients now that have moved to whether it's hybrid environments or distributed workforces, you know, mm. how does that affect a team? Yeah, huge impact. When we're not around each other day to day, that there's there's an impact that you get where somebody put it this way. And he meant it appropriately, but it sounds funny. Uh, he said, you know, I miss being in a situation where you can smell the other person you're meeting with. And what he meant by that is that you know, whether <laughs> well, it's a client, a stakeholder, you're networking. I mean, hopefully everybody smells nice. But but he yeah. said that, you know, when, when you're with somebody in a room, there's a sense that we get as human beings of thinking, do you know what? I feel I feel like I can trust this person. I feel like they're not going to hurt me. Uh, I feel like I'm OK here. I'm safe. And when we're not together in that way, then a fear can build up. Storytelling can build up of, well, I haven't seen that person for a long time and therefore I don't know if I can trust them. What's going What's really going on here? What's going on that I don't know about? And they build up this whole story of fear and tension and worry. And then suddenly you meet them for coffee and they go, what was I worried about? There's no, there's no concern. This person seems fine. I feel at ease. My gut instinct is I'm okay. And so we have to work much harder at that when we are uh, physically away from each other when we've got conversations going on uh, virtually to make sure that people understand they've got these regular touch points where they can see you, they can hear you. And it's very important that we don't just do lip service on that thinking, okay, I'm going to show up and turn the camera on, I guess once a week and say, how are you? This is how I am. And away I go. We've got to really work hard to make sure we're building up the rapport. We are focusing on the person and listening, asking really deep questions to understand them, let them understand us and build up not just that FaceTime, but that chemistry with that other person uh, and you know i have to say on, on a personal level in our business we've got 20 people on our team usually uh, more than half of them would be on an airplane somewhere in the world around uh, uh, different continents and we've actually found it really beneficial moving to that position of doing sort of hybrid work we're doing some in person now we are doing some flights but a lot of virtual working and we've really made a massive effort to spend much more time with each other where we can see each other, we can interact, we can hear the person's voice. And so one thing I, I give people as a small nugget on this, which can be very valuable, is the next time you're going to send a text or an email to someone, just consider sending them 
a voice message so they can hear how you feel. If you email them saying, hey, thanks for that. I really appreciate what you did yesterday. They'll read it and go, mm, okay, fine. But if they hear the sound of your voice on a voice recording and how much you genuinely care about what they did, it's very different. And if you say to them, like, can we just pop a conversation in and they see on your face how delighted you are with the work they've been doing. It's a whole different level than just popping across uh, a, a a little email, so it's worthwhile making sure you build in the tone, build in the the, uh, the body language, so you can start to keep that connection going. Yeah, and let's talk about when you are remote, when you are distributed, and you cannot. It's not an option. Let's just say, you know, we have a couple clients that have had to turn to actually recruiting all over the United States and across the globe because of the fact they couldn't get the people they needed in Pittsburgh because we have this huge talent war and talent crisis going on. And so yeah. they're forced, right? There is no option right now for them to come together. How do they have kind of, how do they keep that energy? How do they, how do they work when, you know, I assume you would highly recommend calls like we're doing right now, where it's a video call, yeah. we could see each other, we can feel each other's energy. We could, and we could see the lack of energy, the lack of excitement mm. as well, right? On a call yeah. rather than just a voice call. Is that, would that be one of your recommendations? to make sure you absolutely do so okay yeah and, and fundamental to that and i still can't believe that we're saying this two years into the pandemic is you know, like make sure you're doing video calls your key people every week you want to spend an hour with them where they can see your face you can see see their face as a minimum and and in those make sure you got your video turned on I mean, there's still a fair number of clients who have got to, who are showing up at calls and they're actually not even turning on the video. And so, I mean, the tone of voice then is good. That's that's great. And, you know, if you don't want people to see the background in your house, use a virtual background Perfect. if you want to. But make sure that people can see your face. So that that is key, uh, making sure you do that and committing the time uh, towards this. The other piece that is going to be really key with, the, with these virtual teams is you need to make sure that everyone's on the same page. Everybody's moving in the same direction. And one of the most powerful ways that you can do this is through the power of storytelling. And storytelling, sometimes people think, well, what is that? Is that like an anecdote? Or is that like me telling people about my weekend or once upon a time or a parable? Uh, and actually, it's not that. Storytelling is how the human brain wants to receive information. And this is really key because so many people have said to me, well, how do you find a good story, Richard? Well, the, the thing is that, I mean, I've been telling stories even in this conversation about, you know, me, me going off to the monastery and what happened and, and then, uh, you know, those situations. So stories come up in every conversation. And in fact, every slide deck you've got, every process you need to cascade in a company, you can transform into the structure of a story so that people understand it. They care about it. They listen to it. And if the next day someone says, hey, what's the process for such and such? They can say, let me tell you. And they remember all of the key points. So this is where we've been working with people. There, there's a company actually in the US recently we worked with uh, where there was a couple of hundred people at this conference and they hadn't seen each other face to face for three years. They're really excited by what they're learning. They're putting together new ideas for what they were going to do, projects for the year ahead. And we showed up to say to them that we often come in at the end of a conference because people get excited about these away days. They get there, they get all these ideas. And a year later, they realize that nothing actually happened. And so we come in then to say to them, OK, what are you going to do? I've seen these messages up on these nice charts and boards outside the conference from here. How are you going to cascade that through 100,000 people? 
in your company? And the answer to that is storytelling. You need to turn everything into an effective story that every manager, uh, every line manager can pass down to their team so that everybody's on the same page. It's clear, it's concise, it's crisp. It has a nice clear thread through it. Uh, and so it's it's more important to be familiar and skilled at storytelling now than, than it ever was when people are face to face. Yeah, for sure. And and I'm a firm believer that as a leader, if you want other people to do something, you have to start by doing it yourself. So how do yeah. leaders right now improve their communication skills so that they can inspire others on their team? Yeah, so 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 a couple of pieces. Uh, firstly, let's get really clear about this, uh, the piece on storytelling. Everybody should invest in this. There's plenty of books out there. Uh, you can take a look at mine or you can take a look at many others that are out there on storytelling and really invest your time as a leader to understand this is how humans want to receive information. And then make sure that you've got uh, slide decks, nuggets, new team updates that you have every week that are going out this way. We even have a, a team that we worked with where there's a team of 50 of them and every email they sent to each other had to be using a storytelling structure. Otherwise, you could reject the email and say, no, Bob, try again. Uh, and so they got really good to it. They got they got to the point where they could bump into someone in a corridor and the person would say, hey, how's that project going? And instantly they'd come out with a storytelling structure. So you've got to really invest in that piece. The second thing, if you want to think about storytelling, because it takes a while to go in through, you know, how exactly do you do that? But the key part to this, and this will transform everything, is to remember Whenever you're sharing a story as a business leader, you are not the hero. And so sometimes people think, OK, well, you know, surely I should go into a team meeting and say, hey, everybody, I've 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 managed to get you a pay rise. I fixed this. I've managed to get this service going on. And we've got this new thing that's coming out. And you're positioning yourself as the hero. And people sit there and they go, OK, I am passively here nodding my head. I'm going to leave the room and do nothing about it because I don't understand why it's relevant to me. So always remember when you're sharing a message, your audience is the hero of the story. And that flips everything you're about to say in your next meeting. Because when you know that they're the hero of the story, what does that mean? You have to think about every message thinking, okay, who am I speaking to? What are their challenges right now? Not my challenges, not the department's challenges, not the business's challenges, not politics, not economy. What is this human being's challenge right now? And what is this person's goal by the end of this year, where would they love to be? And if you don't know, you've got to ask them. So you can use this same structure for a, like a really effective one-to-one -one with a challenging member of, uh, of your team. Where are they right now? Where do they want to be? And that's where your story starts. That's where cascading the new transformation of processes in your department starts. What are your challenges? What are your goals? Let me explain to you then the journey of how you get from where you are now to where you want to be and how that links with this new process. So you understand this is part of your journey, part of your hero's journey as it's known. And what you do when you do that is as a leader, you're no longer the hero. So who are you? Suddenly you become the mentor the mentor figure. And the mentor is the person that people want to come to for advice because they know you care about their challenges and their goals. You're going to help them on their journey. So every every team member really looks for someone who can mentor them in that journey. And I was talking recently with somebody about burnout uh, in companies. And often burnout comes down to the fact that we feel like uh, things that are going on are unfair, unrelated to us. 
uh, that we feel that we don't have enough autonomy on our decisions that we're making. So guess what? If you go in as the mentor in every conversation, every other person is the hero, then they'll feel like they have autonomy on what's going on. They feel like they understand why it's important for them. They'll be willing to put their passion into it because they understand where that moves. So, so you've got to make sure uh, that you are using story on your side to help every other person be inspired, be influenced by the message and know where they fit into the picture and why what they're doing is worthwhile. So to come back to what you were saying earlier, uh, Kim, about you know people looking for staff all over the world, all over the country, is because we've had this great resignation where people have thought, I don't believe that this company actually cares about me. There's nothing fulfilling here. I don't want to be here right now. Why should I? They're questioning life. And so if you're able to say to them, look, if you're wondering where you fit in this team, if you're wondering what your purpose is, if you're wanting to get a sense of meaning, I can tell you that by not just telling you the new process where you think, oh, I'm just going to quit tomorrow, but instead saying, look, I care about where you are now. I care about where you want to go. And I'm going to let you know how this new update is going to help you on your journey. And they feel like, oh, I know why I fit into the team. I know why I'm important. I know why the end goal for the, cu the customers relies on me doing this today. And suddenly they feel much more connected. So, so one part of it is storytelling and, and uh, other parts would be related to body language, tone of voice and, and other aspects of communication. Yeah, I love the storytelling piece. I love it because I, I think, you know, when you think of mistakes leaders make, right, one of the mistakes would be storytelling, always making them the hero, because nobody <laughs> yeah. wants to hear how, oh, and, you know, and it was a home run. Um, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, can it be a home run? Sure, but it has to be a home run for the story you're telling about a specific client's journey and how the client won and maybe how you help the client win. Yeah. If I yeah. understand you correctly, Does, is that the right way? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It. Yeah, because I mean, if if you think about it, if you step in, if you start telling a story with yourself as the hero, the the other person, particularly if it's a team member, if you're a leader and you're speaking to a team member, automatically they're thinking, okay, you're the hero of this story. So either it's irrelevant to me, or what does that make me? Am I the <laughs> victim of this story? So I need yeah. you to come in as a hero. So therefore, I'm disempowered. I'm useless. There's no point in me being here. Or they might think. Am I the villain of the story? Are you saying that I caused a problem and you had to come in here and fix it? And so either way, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. So you've got to understand that storytelling archetypes are part of how human beings have lived and understood the world for thousands of years, civilizations all around the world. This is imprinted on our way of understanding what's happening around us because there's so much information, so much going on. We rely on storytelling and archetypes to understand, okay, how do I fit in here? What's the politics? of this situation? How do I fit in with the team and the structure? So yeah, we've got to be very clear on who are we and who are they so they engage with each of our messages. Absolutely. And I think even, you know, when we think of leaders, we think of sales managers, we think of different aspects of, of the corporate world, right? And, and those roles, everybody, a lot of those roles have a convincing element, right? Whether they're mm. convincing a team member uh, to work on a new project or they're convincing a client to buy their services, are there yeah. methods or effective ways to convince people? And obviously, I think using stories can be really effective. Yeah. But at the same time, you can't sit there and just take story after story and then, okay, are you ready to buy? Or do you feel yeah, good sure, about yeah. it? I mean, you have to bridge it all together. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's there's many aspects that we approach with people uh, coaching them on this. And part of it would be, you know, looking at how do you resolve conflict or challenges or overcome objections. But one piece that's so fascinating uh, for, for people we work with is that we we created a study uh, on uh, on body language uh, to look at nonverbal influence. And this works uh, whether you're doing a virtual meeting or if you're doing one uh, in person. And uh, this is at the time it was one of the largest studies ever created on nonverbal communication and influence, how this relates to leaders and communication. So there's a couple of thousand people involved in our study. It was published in the Journal of Psychology back in 2016. And we worked with the head of psychology at UCL, University College of London, because he's got over a thousand papers published in his 35 year career, one of the top psychologists in the world. So we tied up with him and, and what we found, we, we spent 18 months on this project because we really wanted to get it right. And what we found was quite amazing. All of us had to double check the results at the end because it was way bigger than what we thought it was going to be. So much so that the head of statistics at UCL came up to me excited, almost shaking, showing me the results when we were meeting up after the, like, the study was complete. And I said, you look really excited. What, what am I looking at here? It's just a list of numbers. He said, in order for this study to show something valuable, you need a number on this piece of paper that's above the number one. And he said, you've got a 16. I've never seen a 16 in my 30 year career as head of statistics. And so what we found, so coming back to your point on being convincing, is that if you are, uh, regardless of your gender, if you have, regardless of your skin color, regardless of your age, no matter where you are in the world that we tested this, we tested it across Asia, Europe, across the Americas. If you say the same words, and you wear the same clothes, if you made a, make a slight change in your body language, you can increase how many people are convinced by you by 42%. So I'll just say that again to make sure people hear it. So you say the same words, you wear the same clothes, you make a slight change in your nonverbal communication, 42% more people are convinced by you. And we also found this was stunning. 59% more people would vote for you in an election. So just to, to look at that in detail, because people are probably thinking, OK, what, what is it I need to do? We looked at what we found are the most common habits people have day to day. And we contrasted that with what we thought might be the most effective style based on our studies and, and years of teaching this. And so a couple of areas people can think about, whether you're virtual or you're in person. First key factor that was really important here was around posture. And so if you imagine being a leader in business, let's say you get together, you've got your staff in a room, you've got a boardroom meeting or a conference that's coming up and you're starting to share with them an important message. One of the, the first things we tend to see so many leaders doing is that they will lean from one side across to the other. They're sort of shifting their weight from one hip across to the next, swaying backwards and forwards. And even if they're not doing that, they might just be off to one side, sort of casually leaning on one hip because it feels kind of comfortable to them. In that position, you are physically a pushover, meaning that you've got your weight on one side. If someone gave you a small nudge, you fall over. You are literally physically a pushover. And so you can t try it out, just sort of stand on one leg, get or leaning one on one hip, I mean, and get someone to give you a little nudge, tiny nudge, you fall over. Then, so we got people to, to wear the same clothes, say the same words, lean on one hip, say it, and then they would stand centered. And centered being, if you think about 
any sport, if you think about uh, tennis, basketball, uh, whatever you want to think about, people getting in a ready position as an athlete, what do they do? They center themselves between the left foot, right foot, toes and heels and their feet about shoulder width apart. So they feel grounded. They feel connected with the ground. Their body is in the position they were born to stand in. If you say the same words from there, you've just shifted from one hip across to there. And then suddenly you get a skyrocket of the number of people convinced by you who think you're confident and who think you're a good leader. You've just gone from pushover to having gravitas. Gravity is now working with your body, not against it. So you got gravitas. The second thing to do, though, because you can do that on camera and you can do that in person. Just get yourself nicely centered. The second thing is so important for virtual meetings. You have to make sure you've set up your screen, uh, set up your camera so that people can see your hands. So, so many people are in a position, <laughs> yeah, so many people are in a position where you can't even see their shoulders. It's just like this head, this anonymous head that sort of floated into the meeting. And why is this important? When you're, when you're across a boardroom table from someone, they have their hands above the desk. And so you can see their hands, you can see them, them gesturing, and they'll be gesturing without even thinking about it. And there's a trust level that we build up when we can see someone's gestures. So you want to frame your shot so that someone can see when you gesture. And key gestures that we looked at, firstly, we looked at if you do no gestures, lots of leaders uh, will tell you that they've been told don't gesture, makes you look silly, makes you look low status, <laughs> makes you look like a puppy rather than the alpha. We found that if you do no gestures, then you get terrible ratings. You're not confident, you're not convincing, you wouldn't be voted for in an election, a whole range of different factors. Um, whereas if you do gesture, you don't want to go over the top, but there's two things you want to think about is palms up, and palms down and make sure people can see them on camera. So think about this uh, for a virtual meeting. I think, have you ever had a virtual meeting where you've asked somebody a question or asked the whole room a question and you've got no response? Why would that be? The reason being that if you're in, in person and you ask a question, you do it palms up and people visually see, oh, you, you want me to answer this question. Whereas if they can't see it, they think, is it rhetorical? Did he really ask a question? I wasn't really paying attention. I'm not sure. Do I put in? I think I'll just leave him to go. And so you want to be inviting people in with that nice palms up and palms down is fantastic for closing down a conversation for saying, okay, we must move on. We must finish this by Thursday at 2 p.m. It's definitive. And that works. Those gestures work in every culture. They are inborn signals. You can see them in hieroglyphics. They work no matter where you are around the world. And so we found by just trying out a few of those different factors, instead of sort of doing low gestures, limp gestures, meaningless gestures, you get to the point where your body is physically indicating how you feel. And suddenly you get to a place where you are far more convincing. You said the same words, you wore the same clothes. Wow. I love it. You are amazing. Thank you so much. And our goal with Evolve is to help leaders learn, connect, and grow. And I think you've done exactly that. And I can't thank you enough for joining us today. I, I hope our audience will check out more information on you. And um, uh, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks, Kim. It's my, my pleasure as well. Thanks.